Well, I'm sure that you had some particularly poignant episodes. I'm, I'm guessing. Can can you possibly share one or two? You you can change the names to uh, protect the guilty. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, was there anything that st- stood out as something that was empowering or bad uh, bad behavior? No. So many things we can't talk about. Uh, you know, that was that w- those were early Wild West days of Silicon Valley, right? And things were, you know, things things were certainly different, uh, different than they are now, or I hope they're much yeah. different now. Uh, but yeah, I would say my experiences as gr- growing up didn't prepare me for the things that I saw, right? Didn't prepare me for, um, you know, you know, I would say emotions that I wouldn't have expected to see in the workplace, the shouting, um, not, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a company specific thing, right? I mean, I heard about it all over the place. I saw it in restaurants during the lunch hour, um, the emotion, the shouting, the, greed the you know people feeling that they had you know um control over each other right those are just i i was too naive i was too young uh really to be in that environment i mean that was a time when people were making buckets of money right so you know there i was trying to get by and you know pay my rent uh and i I really didn't know how much money I was making. Like I didn't have conceptually, I didn't even know, right. I didn't have time to even know, like I would drag my bills on a plane and not remember which country I was waking up in. Like I didn't have the, I didn't have common sense. I didn't have life skills and I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't have, um, I don't, it's kind of like I almost, I almost didn't have a buffer, right? Like mm-hmm. the s- things that I had to do every single day were exhausting for me as a person. And so I think when anything happened that was outside of my norm, right? Somebody came out of a room crying or people, you know, like I got yelled at. Um, I didn't know how to deal with that, right? And I just internalized it. Like I'm a, I'm a really um, introverted person. And here I was, you know, running like, you know, a global organization. And, you know, I sat on a couple of different head of sales staff and I was, you know, traveling and doing deals. Right. And so like, I, you know, I spent time in executive meetings and I spent time on planes and went and negotiated deals in a lot of different parts of the world. And, um, you know, I was doing presentations all the time and, and I, I can't, even, that doesn't sound bad, right? Like if I say that now to students, like, wow, it sounds so exciting. You know, you're yeah. such a badass. And I'm like, okay, here's the, here's the problem. No, I'm not a badass. The problem is that when you are planning your career, you really got to think about if your values are a sync, you know, mm-hmm. if they're in any way sync with what you're doing. And for me, the way that I tell students to think about 
like the day that they want to have at work and kind of their values is to think about a Saturday. Like if you had a Saturday uh, and you didn't have to do anything and you had control of the weather and, you know, your, your family's all fine. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's great. You can do anything you want to do. Like your job is to plan what you want for the day. I mean, my job or my day would be foggy and cool and kind of dark and a little bit rainy. And, you know, my daughter would be home. The dog would be here. The cat would be on the couch, right? Um, there'd be great wine, fabulous books to read, maybe a little bit of TV. I mean, there'd be no phone calls. No friends would show up. I mean, not that I don't love them. No people would be here. No parties, no outings, just home and quiet, right? And anything for me now that's outside of that stresses me out, right? I mean, honestly, right? Um, but then what I was doing was so empowering and it broke me. And so, mm. yeah. And so any experience, right? Any experience that was outside my normal day when I had to be somebody else already every day, yeah, it wasn't authentic to who I was, even sitting in a meeting, doing a presentation for executives, it broke me. Yeah. And then to hear somebody upset or, you know, people talking about building these gorgeous homes or something. And I was like, wait, I'm trying to figure out if I can pay my rent. Um, it just didn't, it, it didn't bode well for me from a mental or physical perspective. Of yeah. course. Now you've also told me some, some rather inspirational stories. You know, you, you've had a couple of at least decent bosses. Um, what were they like? Yeah, I had, um, uh, not a boss, but a head of, a head of like ops that I, I sat on his staff and, um, you know, for a long time I supported the sales organization and sales is ruthless, right? I, I, you know, I'm amazed that anybody can handle that, that role, but, you know, back in the day, Cisco salespeople were paid a ton of money and it was a very lucrative job to get. And a lot of people wanted to get the job, but you know, when people don't hit their numbers, they're out. That's just Ouch. the way it is, right? Somebody else will come in and do the, and do yeah. the work. But, um, and so I, you know, even for me then, I mean, it was just like this tender little you know, <laughs> person trying to figure out the real world of business. And, and I, you know, I found myself always fighting for people, you know, yeah. um, yes. In fact, one executive at some point called me the injured bird person that I always had like, <sighs> an admin or someone who just needed help in some way. And I was trying to help them through, which is true, which led me to teaching actually. Um, <laughs> but uh, he had a, you know, he had a little bit different approach, this, this head of ops. And he uh, really taught me this, you know, the concept of the deal killer, right? He expected the sales guys to be on time, to do their projections, you know, to try to meet their goals, et cetera. But if it came down to it and they hadn't, and the reason that they hadn't was that the, we as a company didn't want to accept some terrible, you know, term that was in a contract. The sales guy survived, right? He got to see another day um, because, you know, we didn't want to do anything that, that was going to hurt the company. And so it wasn't, it, you know, it, I think for the first time I was seeing, um, uh, I don't want to say it ethics, but it was like, uh, there was humanity yeah. in business. There was at least a, a little compassion, a little compassion, real caring and understanding that people were doing their best. And the other thing that, you know, in thinking about what we do to people within a company, right. When, after running, uh, an ethics and compliance org, you know, I, you can see that 
you know, the stats show us that when we tend to see people do something wrong, when they make probably an out of character decision, it's when they're really pushed, mm-hmm. right? When they're really pushed. And so if you think about it, in a typical company, that sales organization, not only do they have regular goals, they have stretch goals, they have stretch, stretch goals. That's when they make decisions to do side agreements or, you know, um, fudge the numbers a little bit or, you know, agree to some terms they probably shouldn't agree to because they're worried about their families, right? And so to see that compassion and that level of justice to say, it's okay, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to make you lose your livelihood here. We're going to work with you. Um, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily your fault. It was amazing to me. And it just, it, it kind of, um, it set the foundation for me, not only the way I started to manage people, right. Much more compassionately, uh, because I kind of like the hands-off approach because I, although I'm a lawyer, I hate confrontation. So I tended to not want to deal yeah, again, another reason I didn't want to deal with the confrontation, but I found that if I sat with people and helped them to understand that I was on their side and I cared about their path forward, even if they weren't going to stay, I cared about their path forward. I felt better about work when I got home, mm-hmm. right? I felt uh, that I was, even when I didn't believe what I was doing was good for the world, I felt like I could do something that was good for the people that work for me. And so it changed my, he changed my way of thinking. Um, really. Yeah. I'm very appreciative to, uh, yeah. For the opportunity to work with him. Yeah. Wow. So you went through and, and hustled a lot at Cisco Juniper. And then about seven, eight years ago, you decided that's enough. I mean, you had, you, you had, you said that you were, that it had, it broke you. And it sounds like your health was pretty on the rocks at that point. Yeah, actually, when I left Cisco, I said I was done. I mean, my health was on the rocks then. Uh, And then I took off a few years and then I went, I, again, for whatever reason, went to Juniper and, um, you know, I, I did another nine year stint. uh, And then, um, yeah, it, it absolutely, it absolutely just just broke me. And then I went through a, you know, a, a rough period with a, a cancer scare. And I was, yeah, just, you know, it's very easy in hindsight to look back and say what caused the issues. And yeah, for me, it was just the, um, yeah, the stress. I mean, a lot of people describe tech as soul sucking. It was soul sucking for me, right? I think I lost my, I think I lost my soul, I had a hard time finding my, um, finding my center every single day, you know, I was just off. Uh, I didn't, I didn't enjoy the, for the most part, I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy most of the work. I mm-hmm. didn't enjoy the culture yeah. uh, and the, where the values were, or, and I, I had a hard time finding people that I had the same values as, I mean, I had a hard time finding that match and I wouldn't have ever thought that mattered that much, but it really does that you work with people and you can say, we have the same values. Right. And I, I rarely, I've rarely felt that in tech and that's really sad because it's been yeah. a big thing of my life. Yeah. Especially since it wasn't just a couple of years and the longer you go without being around people with a similar mindset, the harder it is to keep going. Yeah, it is each day. That's exactly it. Each day is harder. 
Um, and that's, that's the thing I say to students now, when you reach that point where you get up in the morning and you're like, oh, I got to go to work, but you manage to get yourself together. And then your, your work starts when you open up your laptop and your stomach is killing you. And you're just like, oh, I dread this. Mm-hmm. It's you're way past the time to go. But I did that for a couple of decades feeling that way. And that's not good for anybody. Right? No. Not good for your spirit. So. so, so at this point, you you've, and I'm going to say it again, you had a successful career <laughs> that drained the lifeblood from you. So how did you decide to go come and become an academic? Oh, that's a good question. Well, first I would say, I don't know if I had a successful career because much of the time I was in the career, I was trying to get myself out again, just like with law school, <laughs> going to MFA programs, the whole time I was working, I was taking writing classes on the side, right? I found alternative ways to work. I you never were trying to I, fill your soul. Yeah. I never even had an office at Juniper. I said, I wouldn't, you know, I never even, I didn't have anywhere to sit there. I said, I couldn't do it. I hated the kumbaya of the staff meetings and everything. I always worked from home. Um, in fact, much of the time I lived in LA and worked, worked for Juniper. So yeah. Um, because I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear it. And I didn't understand why anybody would want to sit in a cube in an office when their families were at home. I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. Um, but I always, was helping somebody. I always was mentoring somebody. I always had teams of people I wanted to help. And I had taught as, you know, a teacher's aide or helper mom in schools. And I loved it. Right. And I realized that had I not been so shy in undergrad, teaching probably would have come to mind, but I was terrified to speak. So I mean, standing in front of a classroom wouldn't have, yeah, wouldn't, I think you and me both. Because the only person who ever graduated from SCU who actually never spoke for four years, right? When I had to ask for law school recommendations, they were like, who are you? Who are you here? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, the teaching thing, I think I've always wanted to do. Yeah, I, I have. So it was an easy switch for me. And I wanted to write and I wanted to do nonprofit work. So I've always, you know, had an interest in uh, animals, especially, and I wanted to be able to, to do some of those things. So it was a, yeah, it was an easy thing. It was just more of the mentoring. I think it's less the teaching and more of the mentoring. And I feel like, um, yeah. And because I'm not, because I, I mean, you say academic you're an academic, right? right? And so I, I also, uh, you know, I've hired a lot of people in my career and I kind of hated that so many of them came in with great, you know, understanding of theory, but I had to teach all of them how to write an email or put together a presentation. I mean, just because the the practical side of things is kind of taken for granted. And so I thought, what if I could teach something and help them, you know, give them a leg up when they get in somewhere or, you know, like I didn't know until I was working as a lawyer at Cisco. I didn't know what people in marketing did. I didn't know what an ops person was. I didn't. And so I thought we could, we could help them. We could help make that match that path easier for them. So that, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's not like I have a PhD. You're in academia. Okay, in academia, but non-academic. And at this point, you've you've worked at or you've taught at several schools. I've lost count. I mean, 
we're, we're upwards of double digits at this point, right? I actually don't know. That's a really good question. I don't know. You probably know better than I do. It's a lot to manage. Honestly, it's a lot. I mean, and, and you've definitely had dozens upon dozens of classes. It's not as though, it's not as though you just decided, okay, I'm going to teach a class here or there. You just jumped in and you've taught a lot of classes. What's something that you see um, a lot of, not only students, but also the people that you've mentored, what is something that they you see common ground as something people struggle with? Uh, I think it's a professional development side, right? I think it's really um, formation of professional identity, right? They don't realize that they need their own professional identity and then professional development. You know, there's a very strong sense that students have, in my experience, that someone else owns that, right? And also because we tell them when you're interviewing, ask what type of professional development opportunities exist in a company as if it's just <laughs> the road is written for you, but that's not the case, right? Right, exactly. There are so many tools. I mean, we did not have LinkedIn back in the day, right? We were sketching on stones for God's sake, but <laughs> the fact that now you can look up your dream job see the list of skills that you need, look up other people who have the job right now, identify their paths, how they got there, connect with them. I mean, it's at your fingertips. And so to have people say, I don't know how to do it, then let's help you to understand how to do it. And then you own it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what's the next role you want? What are those skills you need? Why don't you figure out how to, how to gain those skills? So I think Mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing that I feel like we, we kind of need to help them kind of need to help them get there and understand it's it's theirs to own right so it's it's not teaching them but showing them that you have to be active not passive in your exactly. own career and they have to take ownership yeah right? and they'll do better if they do take ownership right i mean that understanding that when you move into a company and your goal is to manage at some point or to be an executive it's not that they identify you and say, we're going to move this person along. It's the idea that you have to go and meet with people and say, how did you get here? How can I move along? Here's mm-hmm. some suggestions I have, right? Really taking ownership of that. And, you know, I tell people they should consider that to be a class, right? They should pick their Netflix hour, you know, once, once a week and, yeah. you know, spend an hour or two and focus on updating their resumes and looking at jobs they're interested in and, connecting with people. And I think that, um, I think that is empowering for them because once you have that done in terms of professional development, it makes you start to think about that job sounds so cool, but is it really a good fit for the life I want? Mm -hmm. Does it mesh with, you know, emotionally and spiritually the, the level of peace and satisfaction that I personally need to have, but I don't think until they think they own professional development? Can they get to the next point of, I own it. I want this. Is it a good fit? Right. Right. They very rarely do the, is it a good fit first or right. Yeah. So how, how do you, I mean, for you, it seems like it was fairly obvious, even though you kept telling yourself that it wasn't, um, but it was fairly obvious that it wasn't a good fit. Um, But it was in certain ways because it did help establish that security and I completely understand. Um, how does somebody who's starting out their career tap into what their own values and spiritual center is? 
That's such a good question. I mean, I do like people to go through even those like online values exercises, which is even looking at, you know, a list of 150 values and trying to whittle it down. Yeah. Um, and I think once you say, these are the things I care about, right? The things I most care about are family and, you know, balance and, right, flexibility, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever it is. I think, I think the rest becomes a clearer picture, right? I think, I think once you say, even if you can come up with three things that are really important to you, and then you match a job to that, and you think 10 years out, you kind of know automatically it's a fit or it's not a fit, Mm -hmm. right? Like I've had so many students say, I just want to be a corporate lawyer, or I just want to litigate. And they say, oh, that's so great. So tell me what a day looks like in your life 10 years from now. They're like, well, you know, I've got a house and I've got three kids and interesting. Exactly. Right. (laughs) And I'm, I'm going to get up and go to work. I'm like, okay, you're going to, you're going to drive those kids to work. Well, you know, yeah. And I'm like, what the dog needs to go to the groomer. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do that. What, what if your husband is sick? Well, you know, maybe I don't want somebody to own all of my hours every single day. Maybe I do need something that's going to feed me in a different way. Maybe I do need to care about the stuff that I do. Right. Yeah. I mean, big part of my unhappiness was I hated tech, mm-hmm. right? I literally, I'm not a fan of technology. Like I, I couldn't tell you what Cisco did or Juniper did for 21 years of my life. I've, I couldn't, I couldn't even explain it to you. You know, it's something you plug in or not now, I guess. Um, but that bothered me, right? Yeah. I mean, if I had been a lawyer in a fashion company or worked in a nonprofit for animals, I mean, maybe I could have gotten my head around the legal work which was incredibly boring, but (laughs) the fact that we were doing something that I thought was terrible for the world didn't help with my ability to sleep my four hours every night, but I think four hours, (laughs) but I think you have to get people to think, you know, focus on values a little bit and then Mm -hmm. identify something you think you want to do. And then really sit down and, and try to imagine that a few years out and see what your stomach feels like. It's all about getting them to develop a gut, right? It's like a spiritual gut. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good one. And actually listening to your gut. Yeah. Listening to yourself, like being confident enough to listen to your, to your gut. My gut every day told me I was doing something that was terrible for me and it didn't matter. Right. I mean, I would listen to everyone else. Yeah but I never listened to myself. And that it's a sad thing, right? But you're not alone. I, I am very confident that a lot of people do that. And it, it takes a lot of courage to listen to your spiritual gut. But it takes being quiet. And I think we are so rushed. And I feel bad that students now feel so rushed and so compelled to do whatever they want to do, especially within that four-year period of undergrad that they never kind of, you know, calm them or stop. That's it. It's just stop and center yourself and really connect with who you are and what you want without thinking about what everybody else is doing because it just doesn't matter. Right. Yes. And in the meantime, you just finished Ethics and Business, an Integrated Approach for Business and Personal Success, your latest book. 
When does that come out? Uh, soon, I think, but really only because I had a wonderful, fabulous, brilliant co-author, um, Paul Godfrey at BYU. I really, yeah, no, not my forte to write textbooks. And um, I'm very appreciative to him for, you know, letting me flail along um, beside him in the deep end. <laughs> but, but it was a pleasure to learn alongside him. And I think the message of the book is is great. I mean, it, it does have, you know, um, ethical theories in it. It does have background on ethics, but it also hits, uh, you know, why we should, um, you know, approach, uh, ethics and business ethics in, in terms of actually having a good life, leading a good life, you know, taking responsibility. And then it's even got some practical skills in it nice. for, um, you know, things that we think people, entering the workplace or, you know, master students should be aware of, should, should know to protect themselves and their teams. So yeah, we kind of took an all out. Let's, let's kind of conquer ethics in one, <laughs> one short book. Yeah. Well, it covers a lot of ground yeah. and you can see your own heart in there, you know, that it's not just another theory book. It really is about the whole person, which is what excites me. So congratulations on getting that done. Thank you. Thank so you. Um, So I want to thank you for this honest and, uh, well, really open discussion. Um, I think not a lot of people are in touch with that side of them and understand why they made the choices that they did. So thank you for sharing all that. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I hope I hope that more people will jump off, you know, jump off the ship if they're on the wrong, if they're on the wrong ship and, you know, get to solid ground sooner than I did at 50. So it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.